0: This episode of Spawned is brought to you by ChoreCheck, a chore management and allowance app to help parents raise self-sufficient kids who know how to manage their own money. Yes, ChoreCheck lets you assign and track chores and pay your kids allowance electronically. Enroll in ChoreCheck Pay today, download the ChoreCheck app or register at chorecheck.com and use the code SPOND. They'll put five bucks on your kids' cards when you order them. That's chorecheck.com with the code
1: Spawned. Hello and welcome to Spawned, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumpener, And I'm Kristen
0: Chase, and we're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. On today's episode of Spawned, we're talking about picky eaters with a reformed picky eater turned picky eating coach. Her name is Jackie Lemenzo, and I'm very excited to talk to her, but maybe you might be more excited because I know oh, you've got yeah. the picky family. <laughs>
1: you know what mealtime's like in my house, <laughs> so this should be a good one. And I know a lot of our listeners deal with this as well. I'm really excited. And of course, we'll close out our show with our cool picks of the week. But first, let us tell you a little more about our awesome guest, Jackie Lemons. With 23 years of experience as a picky eater herself, Jackie overcame a lifelong fear of exploring new foods and became a health coach specifically to coach parents of picky eaters to help make mealtime less stressful. She even coaches adult picky eaters, oh, I might need this, <laughs> to help them overcome their own issues. And she's the author of the children's book, Addie Wants to Fit In, which helps parents see how what we think of as love and encouragement around mealtime can actually translate to pressure to a child. Today, she's going to answer our questions about picky eaters to hopefully help more of us who struggle with mealtimes at home and our kids who struggle with it, which, you know, is what we really like about her. She's really kid-centered. I think this should be a great conversation. So welcome, Jackie. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So we want to jump right in because we have so many questions from our recipe rescue Facebook group. Mm-hmm. This comes up constantly. I think everybody has issues with picky kids or they all define it differently. Maybe everyone just thinks they have picky kids and everyone thinks that they have the answer. Mm. So, I'm really looking forward to hearing your perspective as someone who actually does this for a living. What I like is that you come at this from the perspective of a picky eater yourself. So what was life like for you as a kid? Because I was the same way. This
2: is a great question because as a kid, I ate just this like one food group, you know, it was like the carb food. Yeah. I'm well familiar with the
1: carb food group. Also at the top of my pyramid or the bottom, I guess.
2: (laughs) I think my parents really just wanted me to enjoy food. You know, they're like, no, no, but it's so good. It's so good. You know, it becomes like, the biggest deal. Uh, I hated the attention. I wasn't trying to be a bad kid. I had this like really internal physical like fear and hesitation about trying new things. Mm. You know, I was told that I was picky and it was an awkward social situation but it sort of was an out for me (laughs) in a way. It was like, oh no, no, no. I'm really picky so I'm not going to eat that. (laughs) And then while I was in college, I went to Italy. So pizza, pasta, I was like right up my alley. After college, what ended up falling Into my lap was a teaching job in Beijing, China. Wow. And so China was like, what am I going to eat? You know, what am I going to eat when I'm in China for a year? I mean, I can do white rice (laughs) and I can pack peanut butter and make some peanut butter sandwiches. Uh, Jackie, I'm not kidding. I have literally been in those
1: shoes when I was younger. You know, someone would talk about going to Thailand Mm -hmm. and I would think I'd love to go, but what am I going to eat? I mean, it Mm -hmm. limited me that much. So I completely relate. So what
2: changed? Okay. So I have two months before I left and I really just started thinking a little bit differently. I didn't try anything new. Nothing changed in how I was trying food, but I sort of was like, you know what? Everything's about to change and let me just be open to changes. We go and our very first meal in Beijing was a big circle table with the family who owned the school that we were working for and a couple shareholders. And we were, first of all, disoriented. All this food starts coming out on this giant, lazy Susan. Of course. And we were given (laughs) an empty bowl and chopsticks. And they were like, dig in. (laughs) And I tried every single thing on the table. Wow. And I liked everything that I tried. Wow. So So it was
1: kind of a social pressure situation where you didn't want to inconvenience your hosts or you wanted
2: to please the people you were with? It was definitely part of it. Um, I realized that for the first time in my whole life, nobody Knew that I was a picky eater. Nobody was watching me and saying, Jackie, you're eating a mushroom for the first time. Oh my gosh, do you like it? Oh, Oh. you know, what do you think? What about this green bean over here? Oh, you should try this eggplant. Nobody knew. And so that for me was like, oh my gosh, I've never had this. Nobody was watching me in that way. They were watching me because I was a foreigner. They were like, who is this girl? She can't use those chopsticks over there. (laughs) You know, that was the biggest thing. And also that it was on a lazy Susan and I could choose choose what I wanted. I think had they given me a full plate of food, I would have felt that pressure that you're saying, like, you have to finish all of this. I had the choice. Mm. And that's something that I really encourage for families because when you're given a choice at any age, you're like, oh, I have some freedom. And then I think the cherry on the top was the chopsticks. I <laughs> 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 like, wait, I've never used chopsticks. And I'm like fumbling to even put the food in my mouth, let alone what is this food, right? It just was a distraction. Mm. And I think it's a great thing for kids to get to experience but for parents to say, oh, tonight we're going to just use chopsticks, you know, just doing things a little bit different that feels new and fun and less about like, you have to eat these five bites of this carrot or whatever it is. (laughs) Well,
1: I want to know though because there's a real difference between being 23 and being four Mm -hmm. or being 10 or being 16. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you came to this on your own as a young adult, do you feel like children may outgrow picky eating on their own? Or do you (laughs) really think that parents put too much pressure on like four, their kids to get over this when they're so young? Yes,
2: all the above. From <laughs> my own experience, from doing a ton of research, working with different people, most kids at some point or another, they have a phase, right? They like something one day, they hate it the next day. What the reactions around them are determine how long it kind of sticks. Um, and I have to preface all of this with everybody is just doing the best they can with the information that they had. So what I am trying to bring to the table here is just a perspective shift. You know, I-, I don't necessarily
0: have what I would consider to be picky eaters at home but I have friends that have picky eaters and I understand the challenge that parents face. All of this sounds very familiar to me. And I'm wondering, you know, in your experience, do you feel like parents are so focused on the nutritional concern and not necessarily on the social and the psychological issues that are surrounding this? And by that, I mean the need for control, right? And you talked about like the label, in fact, like that now you're like, well, I'm a picky eater now. So anytime you did anything outside of that, it became a huge deal socially. Right. And so you couldn't fly under the radar. Your approach seems very different than some of the ones that we have encountered. So I would love to hear more about this, the psychology behind it.
2: Definitely. I mean, even as young as like a two year old, they don't have control around much. You know, you pick them up, you throw them in the car seat, they're, you know, out for errands the rest of the day. But they can close their mouth and say, I'm not eating that. It's something that they have control over. And I think when the battle is present, the parents lost the battle already. So when it becomes this, Jackie, if you eat this broccoli, then you can have a lollipop. What is that telling little Jackie? It's telling me that the broccoli is bad and I get a reward for doing that hard or bad or yucky thing, right? Oh my gosh, that was, like, was my whole childhood. It was like, if you eat this, then we are going to cheer for you. If you eat this, then we're going to take a picture of you and we're going to put it up in a frame. Oh, God. True story. I kid you not. (laughs) No wonder.
0: I'm dairy intolerant, but I would eat a lot of macaroni and cheese and not anything else if they threatened to take a photo. Right?
2: That was the thing. And it's so funny. And that's in my children's book. And my mom's going to get a kick out of this when she hears it. But in her mind, which totally makes sense. I always did theater. I was like a performer. She was
1: supporting you. She thought she was like elevating you and rewarding you in different ways. Like, we're going to celebrate you. Yes. One thing that's interesting that you brought up is... Is this idea of fear, that kids fear trying new foods. And I think that's something we don't talk about enough. And I see that in my youngest daughter, who is incredibly, let's say, selective about what she'll eat. I think she is mm-hmm. terrified of trying new foods or having something in her mouth she doesn't like. She really is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking that when kids are afraid of swimming these days, mm-hmm. it's not like 50 years ago, we don't just throw them in the swimming pool and say, swim. Right. Like, that's a long ago idea. Mm-hmm. But with foods... I think it. we don't really acknowledge the fear. We're just like, you will eat it or you'll go to bed or this is all I'm serving. It's like the analogy of throwing you in the deep end, but at the meal table. Yeah. Do you feel that way that parents are not recognizing kids' emotions and how that comes into play? Yes,
2: definitely. And even just hearing you say that, I'm like my little Miss Picky inside me. I'm like, oh my gosh, she gets it. <laughs> it really was like my stomach would hurt. I would smell a meal being made when I'm upstairs doing my homework. And all night I was sick because I knew I couldn't eat it. And actually, let me share with you what the rule in my household was. If there was a meal that I didn't eat, we could, and I say we, I have two brothers, but it was 99% me doing this. But I could go and make myself a peanut butter sandwich in the kitchen and come back to the table and finish dinner with everyone. But what that did was it had me feeling completely left out. Like I was wrong and bad and all those bad things. Honestly, I would like go sulk into the kitchen and like make my sad peanut butter sandwich and come back and be like, sad. Like, I feel like a total reject, you know? It really can mess with your mind when you're like, but I am part of this family and I I really do have this fear around it, but other people don't understand it, Mm. you know? And it doesn't feel like it's valid.
1: But every kid is different, right? Because if I say to my daughter, I'm making one meal, go make yourself a peanut butter sandwich, which my mother did for me as well. Mm -hmm. She has no problem. She has no shame, no embarrassment. She will eat one every single night for dinner if that's her option or ramen noodles or whatever it is. Yeah. So don't you find that when you come, coach families that different kids respond in different ways to different behaviors 100
2: like as long as that open communication is flowing like awesome like if your daughter likes that and feels like she's still part of it and you know everyone's still like it's not about the food so much as it is how was your day what'd you learn in math class today like what are you excited about this weekend like just talking about life then awesome like that sounds like something that does work and it doesn't feel like she feels like she has to eat something that really makes her feel sick and you know and other thing I say a lot is The goal isn't for your daughter to eat broccoli tonight. It's for your daughter to have a positive relationship with food over time. And that's not going to happen in one night. You know, it's not going to happen at one dinner time. That's such a great point
0: because I think parents, and I don't want to like generalize, but I think overall, we are very concerned about making sure our kids have vegetables at every meal and, you know, oh, they didn't have enough of this. They didn't have enough of that. Well, Jackie, you're living proof that that doesn't need to happen. (laughs)
2: Liz is living proof Mm -hmm. that that doesn't need to happen. I love sharing that with parents. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm very healthy. And now, like, I enjoy eating things that make me feel good. You know, that year in China, I was like, whoa, I feel better when I eat vegetables. Like, this is fun. You know, that's a
0: great discovery. And it's one, quite frankly, that probably younger kids can't necessarily get grasp. But I yes. imagine that you could talk to tweens and teens about the way that they're feeling yes. as perhaps a motivator. So so let me ask you this. So you have talked about shifting perspectives, mm-hmm. right? You're talking about honoring the need for control, honoring the fact that your kids might be afraid and anxious. yeah, And you say reward systems, not a great approach. So with that all in mind, what do you recommend as an approach, knowing that all kids are different, but generally speaking, can you talk about what you do recommend as a
2: certified picky eating coach? Well, rule of thumb, there's something safe on the table for everyone. So here's the example that I think is the easiest way to think about it. Spaghetti and meatballs night, you know, side salad, there's some bread on the side to make that a safe meal for everyone, including little Jackie. It's plain pasta, it's sauce, and meatballs and then it's bread and then it's salad. And so my needs are met because I can have plain spaghetti and a bread roll and I'm not going to bed hungry. I feel like I'm part of dinner. Mom's needs are met because she can have some spaghetti, but like a huge salad that she loves. Right. And she's not making her own meal. I'm not making my own meal. The goal is to, what can we add on the side of this meal? Like now I love pineapple. Like if that were something as a kid that I really liked, like, Throw that onto the dinner table, make that part of the meal, Mm -hmm. so that I can feel included, you know, and I can feel like I have an option on the table. And then having that open communication, especially as your kids get older, you know, like what is it that you would like on the table next week? Like me and my brothers, my parents, we would say, okay, we're meal planning here. Everybody gets to pick a meal, and I would get mad at my brothers for picking chicken pot pie because I didn't like it, but. In all fairness, I got to pick my cheese tortellini. You know, (laughs) my kid's favorite. So my favorite. You know, and I I got to have a say, and that was also like, you know what? Life isn't always fair. Like you have to also see that everybody else has other preferences too. But that chicken pot pie night, you know, maybe there's something on the side, like a bread roll, or you know, I I think you're picking up like my bread roll was like my safe thing. But it's like, yeah, throw some peanut butter on it. Great. I don't know if I ever was able to communicate like this makes me feel really sad that I have to go and make my own meal, you know, and, and maybe in the moment I didn't. But I know that looking back, it was like, ouch, you know, like I wanted to just like be a part of it. And those spaghetti dinners, I would just say, can I just have some plain spaghetti before you put the sauce all over it? You know, And it was like I felt included that night. So that is sort of the biggest shift. And again, but going back to China, like there's choice there and it's not here's your plate, Johnny, here's your plate, Sarah. It's like, here is our meal as a family. What would you like? Like you can serve yourself as you're old enough and you can pick and choose what you'd like. Again, at any age, people like choice. But
1: how do you keep from turning parents into short order cooks? Like if you're a mom like Kristen who has four kids mm-hmm. and they happen to eat really well, but if you've got four kids that all like different things, how do you create enough choice so that six people at the dinner table can all find something they like without, you know, spending two hours? Like we're all so busy as parents and a lot of us work outside the home as well. Oh, I can tell right. you
0: what I do.
2: Tell me, what do you what do? You do? <laughs> I actually want to know what Do, do you they do? all
0: eat different things? <laughs> yeah, they all eat different things. So my kids will eat salad, but like my oldest really only likes lettuce in her salad. My other kids really only like cucumbers and peppers. And so the joke is that if we order or make a salad with all of those things in it, everyone can find something in that salad that they like. And so they'll either pick it out or sometimes we kind of do like an old school 1987 sizzler. Got it. <laughs> so like taco bar, burrito bar, fajitas. We do a a lot of that. We do. We actually do what Jackie says. So we always have something. And again, my kids aren't super, super picky, but there are certain vegetables they won't eat. And so we do the meal planning. (laughs) We have a list of things that everyone will eat. And if they say that they like, you know, sugar snap peas, and that's the vegetable that they'll have, then we make sure that those are on the table. So we, we do try to find commonalities. And we also try to offer options. And it's not as hard as I think people might think. But we also aren't making Making casseroles, Like, that's the one thing that my husband, who, who is the cook in our house, Jackie, he's like, casseroles, I'm not making them anymore, because nobody wants all their things together. He's like, I'm done. And I'm like, great. I don't even want things together. Yeah. I don't like casseroles. Great, right, so great. Right. And I love casseroles, but, you know, whatever. So I'm glad you brought up vegetables,
1: Kristen, because I want to get a little more specific with you, Jackie. Mm-hmm. We have a reader named Marjorie, who's in our Recipe Rescue Facebook group. She has three kids, and her two youngest are two and four. Mm-hmm. And what she said is that they seem to like a food one minute. Minute, and this discussion is often around vegetables, and then the next minute, they hate it. And so, first of all, I want to know why kids do this. But second of all, there were a lot of responses as to what other people do with their kids. And I will be 100% frank. Some of them really concern me. There were a lot of parents talking about their kids gagging when they tried new foods and some of them throwing up when they tried new foods because they gagged so much. Mm-hmm. And often the parents were saying like, well, I just keep making them eat it and eventually they like it. First of all, I want to know why one minute they love carrots, the next minute they're like, oh, carrots. Mm-hmm. And second of all, is that as bad an idea as I think it is? to make kids eat until they're gagging? Because <laughs> that, I, I really was concerned. About yeah, that. yeah. And maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't. No, know.
2: no, no, you're not. And you're spot on. So, okay, first question first. Um, I think it all goes back to the control. You know, they are maybe just like in a weird mood and they're like, you know what? I ate that yesterday. I don't want it today. And maybe their only way of communicating that is I don't like that. It doesn't mean they're never going to eat it again or whatever, but forcing them to eat it until they gag is only deepening that negativity with that food. The goal here is to develop a strong, positive relationship with food. And I think the best thing in this situation, and, you know, depending on the age, I know two is young, but really trying to create that open communication, like, well, that's so funny. I mean, yesterday you loved it. You ate so many of it. You know, what is it today that has you not really wanting it? And asking those questions that I think a lot of times I wasn't asked. It was just like, ah, but you ate this before, you know, and it just becomes this like frustration and battle that again as soon as the battle starts the parents have lost and also the kids have lost i mean the kids are still frustrated they're still feeling like they've disappointed their parents it's not good for anyone when there's there's a battle when it comes to food so, so
1: what's the concern like if you're saying to a kid okay you're going to eat this broccoli if it kills you and the kid is gagging and they finally shove it down and then maybe after a few times of doing that now the kid is kind of more compliant and they'll eat the broccoli and the parents are like yay i won so the question is did the parent win or do you think there's issues down the line about this? And, I, and I'm really not trying to lead you, by the way. I really want to know the answer. No, no.
2: Let's explore this a little bit. So then they're at a party with some friends. They're a little bit older, like 13, 14 at someone's birthday party. They're having pizza and there's a veggie platter. Are they going to go for that broccoli? Like, no, mom isn't forcing it down my throat. Like it's not something that's bringing up good memories, right? Uh, it's not something that I've learned to love, you know, but maybe doing something like trying it roasted with some olive oil one night and then the next night raw with some ranch dip, like trying to present them in different ways. And then another thing that I always love to share too, is just like leading by example. So like, what's your favorite veggie that you really love and making sure to share that and also share that you didn't always love it. If you didn't, you know, I actually learned when I was post picky, that my dad was really picky as a kid. And I was like, what? why didn't you tell me that? Like, Uh, I wish I had known that Yeah. because now I can see you eating salads. Like this isn't forever. Like there was a fear in me that was like, I'm going to be this way forever. And I think when we can communicate with kids at as early as an age as we can, that I get it. You know, you don't love that broccoli tonight. I actually, it took me a really long time, but then I realized I really like it when it has this dressing on it, or I really like it when it's with this bacon over here, like, right. Like put something good with it, put some like butter and cheese on it. I think really, just sharing that with kids is important too. And that's something I, always try to be aware of when I'm with young kids and just let them know like oh my gosh I didn't eat that either it's okay you know I actually really love it now but at some point you'll be ready to try it and I bet you'll like it you know
0: I have to say that the approach of like making kids eat something until they like it yeah sure it can work in quotations right like you won Mm -hmm. but I think a that's a parenting approach like that's not the kind of relationship I want to have with my kids like I just don't like I don't want Mm -hmm. it to be an I won you lost kind of relationship at all and I think presenting it in that way is really setting yourself up later on, even in other parts of their lives, quite frankly, mm-hmm. where you're not going to be in a place where they're going to want to openly communicate with you about certain things, perhaps. Sure. So, you know, I just don't like that approach from a parenting standpoint in general. Yes, it can work. Like certainly, like we've heard lots of people say, like you take the two bites and say thank you. Like there are techniques that can work. Mm-hmm. But I think this idea of communicating with your kids and treating whatever it's is that they're facing, whether it's stress and anxiety and fear or fear of trying new things in a way that fosters their own growth is going to help them outside of the dinner table, like outside of the restaurant. And that's really what I would hope that parents want to see. Yes, You know, like you said, it's about what they're going to do later in their life. It's not about winning a battle about broccoli, but I think parents really get into that space. And let me me just say this, like now I'm like all fired up. (laughs) What happens to parents is that we get judged by other parents when we, uh-huh. quote-unquote, let our kids eat what they want, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I'm
1: raising my hand and jumping up and down. Right? like, nodding yeah. so People much. People
0: look at you and they're like, oh, you're just going to let her order her butter and noodles. Like, you're not even going to make her try yep. to eat this. Mm-hmm. And so I think that discourages parents who do have picky eaters. From perhaps being super cool and just being like, sure, whatever, no prob. Let's ask the maitre d. if we can order like noodles and butter, no biggie. Because everyone else is like, seriously, you're at one of the best restaurants and you're gonna let your Mm -hmm. kid eat noodles and butter? I have
1: (laughs) many times. I just think that's a huge factor. I've paid a lot of money for freaking noodles and butter. Yes, you have, my friend. But you know what? What I remember, I don't remember what my kids ordered. What I remember is that we had an amazing meal together. Yeah. Or we had a great Christmas Eve, or we had a really right. fun time out with the grandparents. Like, I don't, right. I never remember what kids eat from time to time, but I remember the experience. And maybe that's kind of the lesson. Absolutely. And that
2: you didn't ruin your night by worrying about your kids' butter noodles. And instead, you know that they didn't go to bed hungry. They had a good time. They didn't feel pressure and all this stress. And neither did you. you and know? I guess
1: in the end, if your kids are healthy and Growing and thriving, mm-hmm. that maybe we exactly. shouldn't be so concerned with them eating every single thing. As you said, you grew out of it at 23. When my daughter turned about 11, she started hanging out with Kristen's daughter, who was 12, and suddenly she was like, "I like duck, I like calamari, I like salad," yeah. because Kristen's mm-hmm. daughter liked it all. Yeah. So I would hope that most kids, at some point, are going to come around to it on their own, right? Yes. So here's what I want to know: If people want to be part of your Beyond Picky Eating Coaching Program, because I know you offer like a
2: three month program to clients, yes. what can they expect it's super individualized so i actually like that you guys had brought up that something that didn't work for me works for you guys and i I will also say i'm working on an online program right now that is more of just videos to watch in your own time kind of thing that is really all about this mindset shift around how can i better support my kid rather than like get them to eat food you know like that again that's not the goal but this program is one-on-one coaching it's meeting every other week it's super hands-on in the sense of like meeting you where you are what is your biggest concern? What is your biggest issue? And really having that mindset shift and giving you a lot of things that didn't work for me. Like, that's where we're going to start. Like, what didn't work for me? What did work for me? And really just adjusting that meal time as needed because, no, like, here's my advice for everyone is going to work for every single person. So it really is individualized, one-on-one time that creates a plan for your family. The three months was sort of a sweet spot. Like, it gives enough time for things to sort of pan out because it's, It's not going to happen overnight. It just isn't. But you'll start seeing those shifts of, wow, I can step back a little bit. I can let go a little bit and realize this is starting to feel better. And I also do want to say I don't work with the kids. I work with the parents because what I really believe is that the kid doesn't need to change. The environment around eating needs to change. And that's up to mom and dad. I love that. So here's where I think we should end. You know, so obviously, other than
0: working with you and not forcing your children to eat something until they gag. (laughs) Oh God, I'm going to have nightmares about that. Other than those two things, what is your single piece of advice that you would give right now to a parent of a picky eater that perhaps with this caveat, they could start doing right now? So
2: I think the first place to start is how do you talk about your child and how do you talk to your child? Are you telling them that they're such a picky eater? We need to fix this. Is it something that they're hearing because they're picking it up if you are. Also how you're talking to them and starting to have that more curiosity and more communication when it comes to, you know, well, what is it? That's so, I'm actually really interested because yesterday you loved it, you know? So maybe we'll try it another time. And really just taking that step back from, You need to eat it right now because they just don't and it's not going to (laughs) help. So that is my biggest mindset shift around how are you talking to your kid and about your kid when it comes to eating? I think that's really helpful. And you know what? That's the thing I haven't really heard before. We hear so much about
1: nutrition and stages and phases, but I I just love that you think about a kid-centered approach and how it impacts them mentally and emotionally and what mealtime should be as opposed to like a battle of wills, which yeah, never ends well.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) This is such a different and unique perspective. So certainly there are all kinds of dietary rules and things that parents can research and look up. But also I love this approach to help coach parents through... You know, just being kinder, being more compassionate, learning about communicating with your kids better and how that can actually help them at the dinner table and perhaps in other parts of their lives. Yeah,
1: you know what? I like the idea a lot that it puts some of the onus on us to reset our mindsets a bit as opposed to just resetting our kids' palates. Yeah,
0: and listen, when you go to your doctor and your kids have their well visits and they're underweight, or the doctor says, Hey, you know what, you need to add a little bit more of this into their diet, then I would say, Yeah, you can take that in consideration when you're using these approaches. But overall, I just love to have in our minds this idea that kids might be scared, they might be anxious, they might be fearful. And if we can be more compassionate and honor and respect the process that they're going through, you know, perhaps we can make things like this a lot easier than they have been for so long for so many parents.
1: So listen, I know we can find you at JackieLomenzo.com, but do you also have a social media channel
2: of choice where people can reach out if they have questions
1: for Yeah. So
2: on Facebook, it's just Jackie Lomenzo. I do have a Facebook page for my children's book that is essentially my story as told from Addie the Ant. It's just the kid's perspective when it comes to eating. Um, and so that's called Addie wants to fit in. It's on Amazon and it's on Facebook, our Facebook page. And then on Instagram, I'm just Jackie Lomenzo and it is Jackie with a Y Lomenzo.
1: Fantastic. And you're going to stick around for cool picks of the week. Yeah.
2: Yes. Excellent. We'll, We'll be back with that right after this.
0: So Liz, you know, at Cool Mom Picks, we get so many questions about chore management, allowance, paying, all of these things. So how cool that we're welcoming ChoreCheck back as a sponsor of Spawn. I agree
1: completely. And actually, we've already been hearing from some of our listeners who are thanking us and saying it has been just the thing they were looking for. So we love that. We love when our sponsors help people solve problems. You know, I was looking at their website this week at ChoreCheck.com, Krista. Yes. And when it talks about the mission, I love that that it opens with the idea of using fun technology to help parents raise kids who are self-sufficient, accountable, and charitable. Kids who grow up knowing how to manage their money. And I think that sometimes when we talk about chores and allowances, we don't really think about it as money management skills. And I just love that perspective and that charity focuses into it and how you're going to spend your money and how you're going to save it and what it takes to earn it. Like that's such good parenting stuff.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, listen, I forget who said it, but we're raising 35 year olds, right? That's who we want. It was our guest
1: if you weeks ago. Oh,
0: that's right. Was it Ken Ginsberg? It was Dr.
1: Ken Ginsberg. Yes. Yeah. See,
0: I listened to that podcast like four times and that's what he said. I know. Said, we're raising 35-year-olds and guess what? We want 35-year-olds to be able to manage their money, right, Liz? We want them to be self-sufficient. Yes,
1: we do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so Because we're paying them now, but eventually someone else is going to be paying them and we're not going to be there to be like, hmm, maybe you shouldn't spend all your money on
0: a Frappuccino, sweetheart.
1: Not that I've ever had that exact <laughs> conversation. Of course, Kristen.
0: No. Never, never. So, what's cool about ChoreCheck is that it lets you assign and track chores, but it also lets you pay your kids' allowance electronically. We hear from parents all the time that they forget to pay. They don't have change. You don't have to worry about that now because ChoreCheck lets you do it right from your phone. And if you enroll in ChoreCheck Pay today, this is awesome. You just download the ChoreCheck app or you register at chorecheck.com and you use the code SPOND, you'll actually get free money. They're going to give you five bucks on your kids' cards when you order order them. How awesome is that? It's five free dollars. I know,
1: It literally is free money. It's not like yes. points or chips no. or stars. It's like nope. actual bucks redeemable at any store that takes cash near you. Yes. So <laughs>
0: again, weird. go to chorecheck.com, use the code Spawns and get your free five dollars and, you know, get started on the road to raising some self-sufficient kids who know how to manage their money. All right. Well, now it's time for Cool
2: Picks of the Week. Cool Fix of the Week. And Jackie, you are our guest. You get to go first. Yay. Okay, so I am currently on the road. I'm doing a lot of traveling and school visits and book signings and things like that. And so I've been listening to a whole lot of podcasts, but I have been super into imagined life. By Wondery. Have you guys heard that? No, I love Wondery and I have not heard that one. Do tell, oh do gosh. tell. So imagine life, there's two storytellers, one per episode. And so it's either a male or a woman's voice and they tell a story in the second person. So they say, you know, you are da da da. And they tell this whole story. It's about 45 minutes or so. And by the end, they tell you like right at the very end whose story it is. And it's a celebrity or somebody that you would know of. Woo! And it's this crazy story that like is a true story story that happened to them before they became famous. It's been so cool to listen to. And, and at the end, I'm like, what? Kristen, that's like <laughs> our kind of show. That, that is so awesome.
0: awesome. I'm subscribing right now. Yeah, Because I need a break Yay. from true crime. That's You know what? It's so funny. People get so obsessed with true crime. And so I love oh, yeah. when there are other options. Great storytelling. This medium is so great for it. So thank you. What a wonderful recommendation. Yes. All right, Liz, what about you? So...
1: With Passover coming up this year, it's on April 19th. Since you'll be listening to this podcast for years to come, it will be many different dates in April <laughs> in subsequent years. But recently in a local Brooklyn shop, there were these matzah chips, okay, in a bag from a company called The Matzah Project. And I bought them because the package was so hilarious. It's like a kind of cute cartoon of a Jewish grandmother saying, would it kill you to try something new? <laughs> like, they're really funny. And I got them. And they were so good. And we ate the whole bag in one sitting. Delicious. And then, Kristen, this is so funny. So I go to look them up online and I couldn't remember the name. And I'm like typing in like funny matzah chips, Brooklyn. And it's from this company called The Matzah Project. And I click over to see who's behind it. Kristen, it's our friend Ashley Albert. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I had no idea this was her company. She was the lead singer of the Jimmies, which is a kids band we've been writing about for years and years, among other things. And we've become personal friends. And I I literally had no idea this was her company. So anyway, it's kind of cool when you end up supporting a friend without even knowing it. But I highly recommend Matcha Project chips. They are so delicious and such a good break from just regular chips. The only thing is they're kosher, but they're not kosher for Passover. So if you're keeping kosher for Passover, you know, you have
0: to eat something else. But for the other 51 weeks a year, you can eat these. Oh, perfect. All right. Well, I uh, don't celebrate Passover, but maybe I'm to But you try can them celebrate
1: anyway. delicious matcha chips.
0: Well, you know what? Here's a funny story. My My mom is Chinese, and we used to eat matzo ball soup and matzo and all of that stuff when I was a kid. Oh, my gosh. That's so
1: funny because, you know, Jews eat Chinese food. I know.
0: I know. (laughs) Every
1: holiday, that's what we do. We go out for Chinese food like Christmas Eve because (laughs) it's the only thing open in New York City. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay, So what's your cool pick, Kristen? So
0: my pick of the week are these new horse vans. Vans as in the sneaker, not like the car. (laughs) (laughs) Not the thing with four wheels. So my husband was at the van store, and he sends me this photo of these vans that are covered in horses. But the way the pattern is, you actually have to look really closely. I have a tiny eight-year-old horse lover. She's taking horseback riding. She's insanely crazy over horses, so we had to get them for her. They're so cool. And they're photos. They're
1: like photos of horses. Yeah,
0: and they're just really neat. They're part of a collaboration with Molo, which I I was not familiar with them, but they're a Scandinavian kids brand. And they have a lot of cool new ones. They have sea monster ones. They've got, um, they've got a whole new line of unicorn vans. I feel like vans these days, they're killing it with their, their collections, David Bowie. So anyway, if you've got a small or large horse lover in your life, you've got to check these out. And of course, we will link up everything we've talked about today over on our Cool Mom Picks podcast page well thanks so much for joining us for another episode of spawned huge thanks to our engineer john bowen and listen people we love to hear from you where are your emails where are your tweets we want them more the better we like them more more the better and of course more reviews on itunes and make sure to subscribe you can actually do that right now while you're listening download save our episodes I don't know if you realize this. We've said it before, but we're going to say it again. It actually helps other people find our podcast and we love more listeners. It makes us happy. (laughs) And you want to make us happy and we want to make you happy. Thanks for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye.